0: Hello, I'm Annie Redout, author, journalist, and host of this podcast, Home. Today I'm speaking with the wonderful Karen Arthur. Karen is a fashion designer, creative, and the host of Menopause Whilst Black podcast, which was named as one of the five best midlife podcasts by The Guardian. Karen runs the Joy Retreat, the first menopause retreat designed for black women only. It's in Barbados. Today we are talking about where Karen was born and raised, what it was like teaching dance in an East London school, becoming a fashion creative, and then how she came to leave London for Hastings just after the pandemic in her late 50s. Hello Karen, welcome to
1: Home Podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. Uh,
0: I'm excited to hear your home story, knowing uh-huh. that you've moved lots of times um, and recently to St. Leonard's on Sea. Yeah, that's right. London. That's we'll get to that. Um, but I'd love to know, to begin, uh, about your beginnings. So where you were born and raised and what your childhood was like.
1: So I was born in London, in Balham. I think it's a supermarket now, uh, the where the hospital was. Mm -hmm. And uh my so my parents came from Barbados. My mother came first in the early 60s, my dad followed. They weren't married at the time. Uh they've been courting uh in Barbados. Um but my from what I understand, my mum had a couple of guys to choose from. (laughs) <laughs> so my dad Ivan Arthur was the person who followed her um, they got married uh, my dad couldn't find work, my mother could find work, she worked in a typing pool um, and I know that that was based on colorism, which is you know, you know um, proximity to whiteness, my mother is fairly fair skinned my father was a lot darker and he couldn't find the work that was commensurate with what he wanted um, or any work at all and so there were advertising jobs in ba- a factory in Banbury in Oxfordshire um, it was called general foods or birds they they made like that's Max- they what they maxwell house now they're called craft now so they made coffee copper soups that went in vending machines angel delight trifle stuff like that mm. anyway they were offering packages to move to Ox- to banbury and so my parents took it so they took me my little brother, who's 18 months younger than me, William. Uh, and we moved to Banbury in Oxfordshire, a population of 30,000. Uh, there were three black families there. Uh, yeah. So I was brought up in Banbury and it's lovely. And my mother still lives there. My uh, One of my brothers lives there. My sister lives on the outskirts. Um, it's leafy and very conservative and very uh it's countryside it's grown a bit more now obviously Mm. but yeah um so that was where I grew up and I yeah I thought it was great I mean you know it had its moments but on the whole I think I had a lovely childhood uh we played out all the time uh summers felt really 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 long um I was what we used to call a tomboy it has another name now but I like to do cartwheels and wear trousers and, you know, had very short hair and I looked like a boy, I was flat-chested as well. Um, So I remember playing a lot, I was fairly academic and I, I straddled friends who were really academic and friends who were academic and also smoked and were baddies, so they were the people I learned, the baddies, you know, the kind of, you know, people that they'd rather I wasn't friends with. Right. Um, loved athletics, loved sports loved, I played the piano, I loved playing the piano, I loved music, loved dance, and then eventually moved out of Banbury when I was 18 to go to university because I, my art teacher dropped the gem that I could study dance as a degree. And I was like, I'm on that. So yeah, so I went off to study performing arts in Leicester where there were loads of black folks, and it was very different um, and weird and wonderful and uh yeah Did, didn't didn't do a, I had a lot of fun at uni didn't do a lot of work they were polytechnics then um didn't do a lot of work till the third uh third year when you when you kind of had to pull your finger out mm-hmm. but i learned a lot about dance i learned a lot about myself i partied a lot you know went out a lot and by parting, i mean i'm i was the one on the dance floor with a pint of ribena on the side I know when people say partying now, they mean something completely different. I was not that person. (laughs) What what do you mean? So I mean, just dancing. I went out to dance, went out to have fun. I wasn't into drugs, I wasn't into smoking, I wasn't into alcohol, any of that. Mm. Um, I understand that uni is very different now, um, but that was me. I loved, I was in the middle of the dance floor. That was me, all the time.
0: (laughs) And when you were at uni in Leicester, Did you miss home in in Oxfordshire?
1: No, not really. I missed my mum. I'm the eldest of four. I felt like, I always felt like Banbury was too small for me. Mm. I always felt like I had to break out. I never thought I'd stay there, ever. Um, My siblings stayed for longer. My sister went away and came back. And then she lives on the outskirts. Um, but for me I was never staying there and I actually had my sights set on London from quite young I felt like that's where it was all happening but I didn't know how I was going to get there I didn't like plan it out I just felt small in in I felt contained I felt like there's so much more out there and a lot of my friends a couple of my friends went to uni but in those days most people got a job you could leave at 16 so they went and got a job or they went to the local te- technical college. Mm. So um, I was one of the few people who went off to university and I had no intention of coming back. I was gone, Boom! you know, um, and let, I auditioned funnily enough at Laban in uh, New Cross in, in Southeast London uh, Dance Academy. And I also uh, auditioned at Leicester Poly for a similar course. I think that the course in London was dance, a BA dance, BA honors dance, and the one in perform in Leicester was performing arts BA, and I got into both, but took the Leicester one because I was guaranteed accommodation, and in London it wasn't. My mum was a little bit worried about where I was going to live and all that kind of stuff. So that's why mm. that's the only reason I went to Leicester. You know. Um, so
0: then you you completed your degree, and did you I go
1: did into dance? I did my degree. And then i <laughs> so I, <laughs> what did i do i got i really wanted to go into fashion for some reason but i knew that fashion was really competitive so that's and i and i didn't want to get a job Job, would that make sense so i kind of thought well i started teaching but i started teaching sort of accidentally so i did I I taught in different dance studios around the Midlands. So Wolverhampton and places like that. And then, and I did a few youth clubs and summer schools and stuff like that. And then I thought, well, I I got a job near, in in somewhere called Sipford Ferris, which is a tiny little village, uh, where there's a Quaker school there. Uh, And I got a job there teaching dance. Um, And they gave you board and lodging and the, the, Appeal for me was that it was near my mum. It was seven miles from my mum's house. So I could see my mum and my family as well. So I went there and when I remember getting my first pay packet and I'd completely misread the salary. So I thought I was getting paid, I don't know, a certain amount. And it was a fraction of the amount because I was actually only teaching dance um, in between prep and dinner basically. So I wasn't teaching a lot. Mm. So I remember confiding in the the drama teacher and crying my ass out and saying, this isn't enough money. I know what I'm going to do. And he said, go and see the head. Um, But before I could get to the head, this is actually a very sad story, uh, but it worked out in my favour because before I could get to the head, the music teacher passed away. Um, And they basically turned all my uh, all her lessons into dance lessons because you could do that you could do what you liked basically so my salary tripled uh those wonderful children got the benefit of my dance experience for a year and after I'd done I wish I could remember the music teacher's name because I want to honor her but that's what happened Mm. and I ended up I thought well I've spent a year teaching I should probably get a teaching degree so then I went to Bedford and I did my postgrad in dance and, I, and then I used that to move to London. And in those days, um, to get a teaching job, you, it was in a London Education Authority. So they interviewed everyone in a pool of, you know, interviewees. And then they chivered you out to the schools. So yeah. they, they, I got a job straight away teaching full-time dance. I've never taught, I've never had to teach anything else as a full-time subject. Whereas my cohorts, the people who are on the course of me, they all had to teach their second subject I can now say that my second subject is art but I never had to teach it I never wanted to teach it uh it felt like a lot so I always taught full-time dance I moved to I went to where did I go I went to I did some supply teaching at North School which is now Paddington Academy which funnily enough uh, is where my is the area where my daughter my eldest daughter has ended up now it's a really weird how you know things have traveled full circle not weird I don't think there are coincidences but I know what I mean yeah so I did some supply teaching there and then I did a covered and maternity leave in the east end and then I ended up at Langdon Park school in the east end which might be called something else and taught for a year and a half before I got a job in Finland <laughs>
0: Oh really? Um, yeah. Before we talk about Finland, where were you living in London?
1: So I was living in uh, Bromley by Bow. I was living in Hackney, in this massive house share. Uh, gosh, the memories of that house share in the days when they used to advertise rooms in Time Out, Time Out oh. London magazine. Yeah. So I went to this house share and I met some lifelong friends there. Um, And then I moved to Lower Clapton and I was taking the bus to Bromley-by-Bow every day and walking along the side of the motorway to get to this, through the Teviot estate, which was named Britain's most violent estate at one point. Oh, God. (laughs) To teach at Langdon Park. And did you feel scared? Was I scared? I think I was more excited than scared. I think I was on a big adventure. Mm. um i was never scared that's interesting that's an interesting question no um i was just on a big adventure i did if anything what was difficult around the school was that it, it felt quite isolated. I loved my dance lessons I really connected with the kids. I used it to play a lot of the classes a lot of the music that I liked so I played a lot of hip-hop and r and b if I'm honest, right. <laughs> I wish I'd had you as my dance I don't and <laughs> I taught I ended up teaching a boy David who's now uh, his name he goes by the name of John Z D who now runs the the world's uh hip hop convention breaking convention um but he was 16 at the time and he won't mind me saying he wasn't a big fan of school but he came in for his dance lessons oh wow <laughs> so yeah well, t- i've been teaching for long i think he was in his final year but um yeah i think seeing a black teacher you know a teacher of color uh was important to him and the fact i was playing the music that he was into um was nice as well. Uh, and then he went on to do much bigger, greater uh, things. Um, so yeah, big up Johny, Very, very proud of him. Oh. So yeah, um, and then a friend of mine called me. Where had I met this friend? At, Le- at, at Leicester Poly, uh, doing one of the various things I'd done. He called me from Vienna. It sounds so exotic, doesn't it? It sounds so, ooh. <laughs> he did. He'd been offered a job to teach at a dance studio, a tansy studio for Tony LeFou in uh, Helsinki, and he couldn't take it because he was about to do some big musical. And he said, would I take it? And I was like, yeah, I've never been to Finland. <laughs> and I wasn't particularly enjoying uh, my job. Um, and I remember going into the head teacher at Langdon Park and saying to her that I was leaving to go and do this three-month you know, uh, dance teaching job in this dance studio. And she said to me, well, I asked her to write a review for me, not a review, what they called? Oh, my God, the word is reference. We're <laughs> back in the room, guys. We're back in the room. God, you can go there. And uh, she said, no. She said, I'll never get another job in, in London again or in Ilya again. I was like, all right, bye. <laughs> and then I went off. And that was an experience in that everything that could go wrong went wrong. I I pulled my hamstring, so I couldn't teach for the first three weeks. The the teacher, the owner of the studio, Tony LeFou, withheld my payment. Uh, My passport was stolen. Um, But on the other side of that, I developed a lifelong love of Helsinki and Finland. I so much so that I learnt Finnish I did finish classes when I got back I have a bestie there who you know we go back and forth uh, to Helsinki um Kati. yeah so it was a weird situation the the da- the dance te- the dance owner studio owner owner i think he was a misogynist misogynist and he felt i was his and when i went out his Friends would like call him and tell him I was out having fun and leaving with guys and sleeping with guys, and that couldn't. I wish it was. It couldn't have been further from the truth. And he kind of used that as a reason to kind of. He just wasn't nice to me. He would change my schedule at last minute. Mm. He blamed me if people weren't coming to my class. It was awful. Mm. But hey, I'm here. I live to tell the tale. Mm. Uh, when he when I when my passport was stolen I went to the British consulate and I said to I told them about what was going on and they said to go and tell him that you were leaving and that you wanted your money otherwise you'd go back to the police and he was like I love women I remember him saying I love women (laughs) you know how could you think that I you know all this kind of stuff anyway gave me all my money in one go, which of course, went that me and Katy went and blew it all. And <laughs> they're we like, oh, let's buy this, let's buy this. <laughs> I mean, literally. And then, cause this is the days before mobile phones. I couldn't call anybody. It wasn't internet. We're talking 88, 1988. So ages ago. So it wasn't as easy to get in contact with people. I didn't want to worry my mum, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and then he couldn't get an economy ticket flight for me. So he had to bump me up to business class. I traveled business class. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> so yeah, um, how old were you at that point? I was twenty seven, I wanna say. Possibly twenty no, twenty-seven because i know this because i'd met my partner maybe i was younger let me work this out 26 i was 26 because i had not had kids and i'd only been with my part my my ex-partner kid's dad uh, a few years not even that and when i came back i was like mm, i want to have kids uh, let's have a conversation
0: so you you were together with him but he'd
1: stayed in london you would stayed in London. I think we'd been together about not even a year. So we were writing to each other. (laughs) That's what was going on. Mm. And I called Collect to let him know that my passport had been stolen. And then I sorted it out because that's what I do. And that's what lots of people do. We get, you know, oldest girl child. We get on with it. (laughs) You know? So, um, yeah, 26 62 to 88 yeah 26
0: so it was so then you moved back to london and decided you wanted to have a baby i
1: moved back to london uh i started to look for somewhere to buy uh then i got pregnant we you know we were having a child together and he was like well let's just get a flat together which made total sense so my mum gave us the lent us the deposit it was two and a half thousand pounds Let's just let that land. And we bought a place for like 61 grand or something. It's ridiculous, two bedroom flat, 61 grand. Paid mum back in three months, in three installments. And yeah, brought up my first child, uh, Kareem, in Southeast London. So we, we settled in South East London because his mum lived in Southeast London. He wanted to be close to her. And right. that made so sense. So I ended yeah. up, um, we ended up living there and then we moved to a bigger place. Um, Literally around the corner and up the road when I have my second child, Mahaney. Hmm. So Forest Hill. And we were there for, well, I was in Southeast London for 36 years. Wow. You know.
0: And um, after you had your girls, did you get back into teaching?
1: 100% because I didn't have any money and I just bought a flat. <laughs> so I remember breastfeeding for exactly three months. I planned it so that I could go back to work after the three months so that we could keep the mortgage up. I actually, hands up, I liked going to work. I wanted, I didn't, don't get me wrong, Motherhood's great. yada yada blah, blah. However, uh, adult company (laughs) is a beautiful thing. (laughs) I hear you. And I will say, right, and I will also say that my mindset changed. So I... I had always, been, I loved teaching. I, I still love teaching. I just don't do it. Uh, I It's the system, educational system that drives me potty. But I would, you know, get there as late as I could, do my job, get out, come home. You know, uh, we had a, we had a nanny. We didn't have a nanny, that's a lie. We had a childminder. Uh, and she was a, Sierra, old woman that my partner's mum had brought over from Sierra Leone, which is where his family were from. She didn't speak English, Uh, and that that were they were very matriarchal side of the family. Remember, they were in London, my mum wasn't, so actually they kind of took over. So they did. They they brought up my child. They had Kareem for long periods of time because I didn't get home till six seven o'clock. And they were bringing my child up in a way. It was kind of up to them. So they weaned her earlier than I would have done. They fed her things that I wouldn't have necessarily fed her. And I actually, I didn't have a voice. And I actually felt helpless. Because they felt they knew better than me. Because I was a new mother. So I wasn't able to follow my instincts. Mm. uh, Which I feel really shit about sometimes. However... Like I said, I'm not someone who dwells on the past in that that all made me the person I am now. Yeah, And I'm also heartened by the fact that my eldest daughter, Kareem, brings up her son, my grandson, in such an intuitive way and such a different way because she has autonomy and she knows herself very well and she knows her son very well. And there are times when I'm like, oh, God, I wouldn't do that. And I have a word with myself, you know, um... But I'm grateful, in a sense, to that experience because it throws into relief the experience I'm witnessing now. Mm. Does that make sense? Complete sense. Yeah. yeah. Because the um, you wrote some that beautiful post <laughs> you put yesterday. I think about. Um, you know, letting your kids watch TV, and you know, you you parent the way you parent, and you know, you're a good mother. I didn't know I was a good mother. I thought I was failing every single day because I wasn't with them, because I was working, because I wasn't physically with them, because I wasn't, I didn't have a say in how they were brought up or what they were eating or what they were watching. It was a lot. It was a lot. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting looking back on it now, particularly from the you know what you said. Did you? Yesterday. And that's why I, I tagged Kareem, because I wanted her to know that she's doing amazingly well.
0: Oh, and it's so nice that you you said that to her. The loveliest thing for your own mother to compliment you on your mother in.
1: Mm. The
0: biggest compliment. Mm. Um, And did you so you you wanted to go back to you needed to go back to work. If you had a mortgage to that's pay it. and you wanted to. Because sort, of. For the, sort of for the adult company
1: yeah yeah
0: but then so there was an element of choice was there an element of choice well i
1: didn't have to cho- if i had the money if i had more money i wouldn't have gone back to work straight away okay but but it's a difficult one because like i said i didn't feel work was the only place i had control of i didn't have control in my relationship which i'll come to i didn't have control in the way I brought up my child, at home I felt helpless and I felt useless. At work, I knew I was good. Mm. I ran out. I was a dance teacher at the time, but I moved across to pastoral education a few years later. I was really good at my job. That was the one place I knew what I was doing. At home, I didn't know what was going on, you know. Mm. And also later on, when my uh, we I we had my second child and had my second child, Naeini. There was stuff going on in my relationship that I wasn't happy about, I didn't have a voice about. So my part was, started to seeing other people and that kind of thing. And I didn't have, we didn't have the kind of relationship, unfortunately, where I felt I could say, (laughs) oi, fix up. That Mm. was never me. The Karen who's talking to you now, isn't the Karen of 30, 35, even 50 to be fair, but that's another kind. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So um, work, I knew what I was doing. So in that sense, I absolutely wanted to be there. And when I had Mahania, when I had my my youngest child, my second child, I was, I'd saved a bit of money. So I stayed off for five and a half months. So I had a little bit longer. And then I went back. uh, So I gave myself a little bit more grace. But in the meantime, my relationship spiraling out of control. Work is absolutely 100% on it, on it. You know, so in a sense, that's why I wanted to go back as well. As hard as it was, as stressful as it was, it was my comfort zone. Mm. You know, it's interesting. And it's interesting how that changed as I got older. How did it change? Well, it changed because. I suppose, well, I eventually split with my partner. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Uh, And that was 20 years Five of which was abusive, you know, Was I say, I say that in that I knew it was happening and I didn't know how to get out. And the final two years were me working out how to get out. And then, you know, then it was, well, actually, there's never, never going to be a right time. So let's just do this, you know. Um, but what I and what I did is I put all my energies into changing my will making sure i no one could fault me at work and putting my girls in therapy so all my money so all my money went on and change and sorting the mortgage out because i had to remortgage the house to get his name off and that cost an absolute fortune uh but it was the best thing i ever did 100% having my own savings you know, any woman who listens to this, please have your own savings. Uh, mm-hmm. And also being able to uh, go to a solicitor and get his name off the house because I had the girls. Um, that was, yeah. Basically from a financial point of view, we had kept the flat. So the deal was he would have the flat and take my name off it. I would have the house and take his name on it. Right. I did, kept up my end of the bargain. He didn't, but that bit him in the bum later on. So it was all good. <laughs> And how old were your girls at this point? So when we split up, Kareem was just shy of her 16th birthday and Mahaney was 11. And we had different rememberings of him because uh, he was also a drug addict. And so that was difficult, I will say. (laughs) That's an understatement. And that's one of the the main reasons I put them into... I wanted them to go into therapy as well. Kareem didn't was about to take her GCSEs and she wasn't in the right space. But Mahaney went into art therapy and it was amazing uh, for her because she couldn't articulate. She didn't know what was going on. Mm. You know, um, I'm a big fan of therapy. I think it should be free.
0: I think it's incredible that you did that for your children. That you saw what it meant for them as well. There was all that going on for you, but you could still see what they needed during that time, I think that's amazing.
1: I'll take that, thank you. I'm also aware that I didn't look after myself at all. I thought that being the best that I could be at work would be enough. And and so I threw myself into work and I also threw myself into sewing. I'd always been someone who'd sewed, I've always made clothes, that's the thing. Uh, my mum taught me to sew when I was 15. So it was a given, but I started to. Um, I started a little business hobby. I called it a business, but it was a hobby because it made our money. Uh, making, I, I did some affairs. So I made uh, little bags out of um, Ankara fabric, African print fabric, and sold them for ridiculously low price. I mean, it's laughable now. Um, but sitting down at my sewing, sewing machine was and still is my. You know, like mm-hmm. the, I've designed something. I love the design bit. I love working out how to make something, how to do something. And then when I sit down to put it all together, I feel myself exhale. And that's what I did throughout my relationship. That's what I did throughout teaching. Uh, and it, it kind of saved me, I think as well. Even though I was working really hard, you know, when I came home at the weekends, the girls were getting older. They were starting to have their own lives. I needed something to cling on to. Mm. So whilst the world felt like it was going berserk around me, trying to navigate solicitors and legal speak and, you know, and find, move money around and find money and, you know, checking my salary every month and, you know, making sure that I wasn't fully and all that kind of stuff, actually planning for craft fairs and making new things, uh, it was a wonderful thing, and so it didn't really matter that I didn't make any money at the time. Mm. Until I start my challenge, I didn't challenge myself at work. I challenged myself within my hobby, my business. That's what I did. So I'd go, oh, I'll try that craft fair, or maybe I could try for a tra- trade fair, or maybe I could make a different thing, or maybe I could start to make clothes. And I started to expand a bit more. And I remember one time. Um, having an open house. It was like, we used to do Sydney Marts Fair. So people would basically nose around people's houses. That's why I did it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and I had my bags and I had a small collection of clothing up and it was incredible. And my daughter came home, my eldest daughter came home one day and she said, was, everybody had left, and I was sitting in the kitchen. And she said, Mom, this stuff is amazing. You need to like get it in, I do know, put it online or put it on your website. or And that doesn't cost enough and all this kind of stuff. And I remember bursting into tears. So I was like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know. Like, I know I'm good. But I don't know. I Like, I didn't know. So I started to put my feelers out to find. I'd had someone do a website for me. And I called her and said, do you know any creative business coaches? This is 2000 and. 14s so I'm still teaching mm. and coaching is very new mm. you know and creative business what's that <laughs> he literally turned around and said you'll never believe this my sister and I just started a coaching business so yeah. yeah so I went so I booked her and in the middle of that so it's 2014 summer 2014 winter is when I go into depression And I have my breakdown, breakthrough, whatever you want to call it. By the following year, I've left teaching. And so I took myself to therapy then because I didn't have a choice, thinking I'd fix myself in six weeks. (laughs) You know, Uh, so I had creative business coaching and therapy alongside each other. Mm. And it was life changing. Having, you know what it is. You know what it is. It's having someone listen to you. Mm. The three things that I did in 2015. Well, I did loads of things, but one of them was going to see a herbalist about my menopause, stroke, anxiety, stroke, depression, stroke. What the fuck is happening? Excuse me, I just swore. What? what um, eight, don't worry, swearing's <laughs> fine. But what age <laughs> you at this point? 52. Fifty-two years old. I was. Uh, and I sat and everybody people always ask oh did did um, the herbalist work I couldn't tell you love all I know is that I sat there for an hour and that woman listened to me and I'd never been listened to for that amount of time and felt heard and held and she did a concoction and black cohosh was in it I remember that and I would mix it up and have a drink of it and I did that for three months but I don't know what the because lots of other stuff happened in between, you know, uh, yeah. and I chucked a lot of, I turned the gaze on me for the first time in my 52 years. So I decided my girls were at uni by this time, you know, and I I, I thought, yeah, OK, I need help here. So I'm going to get the help I need, but I'm also going to make sure that I chuck everything I know and learn stuff about caring for me so I extended my yoga practice and I learned to do mindful meditation and I read half of John Kabat-Zinn's full catastrophe living and I say half if you ever see the book it's fucking huge (laughs) Uh, and I I went to some meditation classes which didn't suit me at the time because I wanted to giggle (laughs) I'm like that (laughs) they were all a bit peace love dope for me (laughs) the funny thing about me and and being a pupil or a student is that I'm the kid that I hated teaching when I was teaching but I had a a, a weird affinity I like I always get the naughty ones like I wasn't naughty naughty I never got excluded or anything like that but I was the giggler, the chatty one mm-hmm. uh, that I would always look around, see if I could catch someone else's eyes so I could giggle with them, too. You know, I'm the, still the person in meetings. Don't sit opposite me, if you know me. Do you see what I mean? So I'm, yeah, yeah, I've, I'm yeah. 61 years old now and I really should know better. <laughs> but however, mindful meditation is my jam yeah you know i i had also fallen down a hole oh god uh, in early 2015 a small hole but it jarred me, my entire body i also think it was the universe speaking to me i think my body i wasn't well for a long time and things started to shut down and i was in a lot of pain and so mindful meditation this book took you through um body scans you know, lying down in the middle of the day with a blanket over you for 45 minutes, scanning your body, big fan, Um, and how to uh, appreciate what's around me, you know. I started to journal more earnestly. I had journaled before, but I realised that I had loads and loads of diaries that were full of sad things. I never journaled daily. I only went to my journal when I was sad. i burnt them since, by the way. They were traumatic actually Mm -hmm. whereas now i i do morning pages i get my the brain vomit the the busy stuff out of my head first thing in the morning on the whole not every day but most mornings and then get on with the rest of my day Mm. because often what i think i'm writing about doesn't arrive until right at the end Mm. i get to my the end of my third page and i think uh that's what i was worried about okay you know so and I and I'm a I, and also I got into gratitude got into gratitude. Is that a thing? Getting into gratitude. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, I got into like I did the whole three things I'm grateful for. Mm. You know, I still do that. I'm very very thankful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also got into affirmations in a big way. So I have we had this garden, tiny garden, but a garden. And the lesson it had a hawthorn tree at the end of it. And I would make my lemon and ginger tea. And as long as it wasn't raining or snowing or whatever, I would walk to the, you know, into the garden and I would speak affirmations out loud. Mm. And I thought, I hope no one's watching me because they're going to think I'm bloody bonkers. And actually, there were times when I thought I was a little bit mad. And most of the time for the first year, I didn't believe a word of it. Didn't believe a word of it, I just said it because I knew I should. And I understood the power of I am, you know. Mm. I'm fierce, I am focused, I am determined. I am, you know, happy, I am grateful. And I, I I, did, I am articulate, I am capable. I didn't believe any of it, not any of it. And I remember about a year later and I'm reciting my affirmations and I can feel myself go, I am. I oh, am yeah. this. I am that. Mm. Honestly, and only people who understand the power of affirmations get that because mm. it sounds bonkers. I, and I couldn't say. Sometimes I say them in the mirror, but I prefer to say them out into the universe. I will. I now I say them if I'm walking along the coast, or I, if I'm in the sea, or in a swim. I I speak them out because there's something powerful about hearing your own voice say, "I am," whatever that thing is. I changed them you know I used to when I had when I was skint-a-rooney and I'd just left teaching and my you know my savings had gone were staring at me like hello <laughs> you know and I was worried about where the next mortgage payment was coming from I started to do the I am um, uh, I am a money maker. I am a money magnet. Was my phrase. I'm a money magnet. Mm. I am full of abundance. I am this. Money comes to me easily. Didn't believe a word of it, but said it. Continue to say it. Continue to say it. But this stuff works. I'm I'm hundred percent with you. I know you're. I know you're on the same page. I know this. I read your <laughs> newsletters.
0: <laughs> so tell me, you had this difficult this dip menopause the beginnings of that depression then you had this creative coaching therapy all the things um and the herbalist to to bring you out of it life started to change Hmm. at what point did you decide to leave
1: london covid (laughs) i i was so i spent most of the lockdowns that we had how many did we have three four i don't know yeah um on right move but i was on right move barbados i decided that i was going to move to barbados and i idly looked at villas in barbados i looked at selling but i was wasn't doing it seriously at all it was i was i thought if we're going to keep going in and out of global pandemics i want a view i don't want to be looking at a house opposite you know i'm not interested in that i want to look I want to be somewhere where I can you know look out and it's beautiful and I remember years ago Annie oh my god writing I think I did a post about this writing that I wanted to live by the sea and visualizing living by the sea but I hadn't two and two together but I wasn't ready to leave England my family's here I know and i it's com- you know, it's complicated my my grandson's here my kids are here it wasn't going to happen and then i went on a retreat actually i went to uh jamaica you know and i that sounds really kind of i don't know i went to jamaica this retreat kept coming up it was jessica huey's purpose retreat and it kept coming up and every year it came up or every few months it came up i thought That's not for me. It's too expensive. That's for people who can afford things, you know, and I counted myself out. And then it turned up one more time and I was like, you know what, I'm going on that. And I didn't. And I remember saying to myself, the money will come. Mm. Because it's, it ain't cheap, you know, the money will come. And I I remember paying, it comes in, there's three installments. I paid the first installment, like, (laughs) like that. And then uh, next, and the money came and I was going. And the next thing you know, I'm in Jamaica for a week. And then we did an exercise where um, you had to come up with two things that you hadn't done that you want to accelerate when you get back. And I remember saying to the person I was partnered with, I wanna put my house on the market, but I'm gonna do it in July. And then she turned out to be a bloody property guru. <laughs> who has like 25 properties and has been doing it since she was you know whatever dot and so she said what are you waiting for and what's interesting is before I would come on that retreat I'd gotten valuations for the house so I'd already kind of you know it was in my head but I wanted to move near it I wanted to move to the sea and I didn't know anyone who lived by the seaside. I certainly didn't know black folks who lived by the seaside. And then I interviewed Lorna Hamilton Brown for my podcast. And when I asked her where she lived, she said Hastings. And I was like, are there black folks in Hastings? And she went, yeah, there's loads of us. <laughs> so I did a bit of research and I put uh, came back. I put my house on the market, January 28th. And there was a lot of interest, and two offers fell through, and they got uh, bec- the offers became smaller and smaller, and then I got a bit despondent about it. And then one weekend, I thought, well, I'm going anyway, so they can sell an empty house. I'll rent in, you know, Hastings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to start to get rid of my stuff. I put some stuff outside on the on the um, pavement because you could do that, and people would just take it. I yeah. wasn't interested in making a lot of money, but selling things I wanted it to give joy to other people. That was my thing, always has been. And then that was the, the Saturday, the Monday, I got an offer which was 25 grand above the first offer and I took it. Wow. And uh, you know, <laughs>
0: hey,
1: and so yeah, I sold the house on the 1st of September, I rented. I thought I'll rent in the winter, and then if I hate it, I let go of needing to love it because I thought, I don't know this place. I don't know these people. I might hate it. I might miss London. People were going, oh, you're not going to be able to move back to London. But I was like, no, I'm done, actually. I'm good. I need space. When you look, London's great. Don't get me wrong. But it's expensive, and people are miserable, unless it's sunny. <laughs> you know, uh whereas when you live by the sea you have even if you've got buildings when you turn you've just got space and mm. sky Hi. it's beautiful yes. yeah and even if it's not sunny it's beautiful mm. and it and it there's nothing there's nothing like the ocean to make you to remind you of your humanity and your how tiny we are you know so i mm. thought if i can get through the winter i'm staying And after a week, I was like, wow, this is great. So I then, I ended up, you know, got through the winter and then started to look and I just bought a place. Uh, Yeah, so I'm staying. They're not getting rid of me.
0: I love what you said about letting, deciding to let go of it having to be amazing, just kind of going in with an open mind rather than this, I'm going in and it's going to have to be
1: perfect. Yeah, I feel that when I I surrender... Mm things, the if it's supposed to be, things work out. Oh, yeah. And, it, it, and I, I need to stop being surprised when things go so well. I need to stop doing that because, honestly, <laughs> I've spent far too many decades worrying, future worrying, trying mm. to control, trying to make sure things went the way I went. And in the last few years, I've gone, right, I'm going to say yes to that. I don't always say what's the best that can happen, and I'm still a worrier. Let's be very clear. <laughs> However, when I let go of the outcome, because I'm like, you know what? I'm blessed and highly favored. It's fine. If I don't like it here, I'll go somewhere else. Mm. You know, if if I don't make friends, I, I I signed up for various things, so I made friends quickly. I'm pretty good at making friends anyway. I know that I can get very lonely. I know that, mm. so I signed up for an online. A cookery course because when I my the first thing to go when I'm not looking after myself is my eating I will I could have fish finger sandwiches and cake for breakfast dinner and lunch forever honestly fish finger sandwich i a joy but anyway uh so I signed up for this cooking thing so that through the winter I would be connecting online with people and I would also learn you know have recipes and cook properly and that kind of thing um And I let go of the need for everything to be perfect. And so far it served me because Mm. I even, as you know, I host a podcast, Menopause Whilst Black, and I got all this new equipment, couldn't use it. All the gear, no idea, last week. I will learn to use equipment. YouTube is a wonderful teacher. You know, I will ask questions.
0: Um, So you said earlier, before we started recording, that you had considered moving near to your mum. What happened with that?
1: This is interesting. For years, I had this notion that, oh, well, I'll just move closer to mum, back to Oxfordshire, back to my roots. I was going to buy a shop (laughs) and... um, open a ha- haberdasheries and I was going to um, offer classes to teach people how to sew and craft and stuff like that. I had the site worked out all in my head. This is about 10 years ago now. Uh, my sister started sending me properties on white, right move. At one point, she sent one that was next door to each other. I was like, calm down, love. <laughs> and then 2016 happened, Um Brexit. Um Banbury, I saw lots of UKIP posters in Banbury. It made me feel uncomfortable. Um I wasn't feeling it. I wasn't feeling the area. It felt like going backwards,
0: mm-hmm. if I'm
1: honest. And also the the pull of somewhere new uh was really strong. I like I like a challenge. I like trying new things and I am very fierce about doing things that I want to do and that I love to do as opposed to doing things that are my duty. And I felt like moving back towards mum was something to do with an older girl child duty thing, which I wasn't feeling. So I have voted with my feet in a sense, because it's not that I don't support my mum, it's not that I don't go and see her, it's that I need to be somewhere that fills my heart and my soul Mm -hmm. so that I can give back with more, with more, actually. And I think had I moved back to my hometown or nearer to my hometown, I think a part of me would have died. And that sounds awful. But I really feel that moving towards space and towards air and towards sea and following my heart has given me has enabled me to give more so I've let that sit because I'm still working out which room I'm going to podcast in and I'm still working out trying to sort out Wi-Fi you know I'm still trying to do all that stuff but I'm not trying to rush it because I think everything happens when it's supposed to happen, you know? Mm. So I, 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 felt guilty for a bit and then I got over it.
0: <laughs> I think God, it's really amazing what you've said that um, this feeling, especially as the eldest girl child,
1: mm.
0: that you should be the one to look after your mom. So you need to go back and do your caring and you'll set up this life that will feel nice with your haberdashery store and you you can make it work, except you realize that you couldn't because that's not you. And That's what you think you should be doing. And I just really love hearing that you decided to put yourself central in your life and what you need for your mental, physical, spiritual health and how then you give back in the ways that you need and want to.
1: And also, I have two daughters who watch my every move. How could I give up a part of myself and then be telling them they should go out in the world and do whatever they want to do how could I do that I can't do that you know everything I do I do it for you no (laughs) sorry I couldn't help it I am aware that as a parent what you say pales into insignificance compared to what you do and so I have been telling my girls to do do this, do that, do the other for bloody, since they were born. They don't take a blind bit of notice, but that every now and then I see Uh, what I've done in them in the way that they go for freelance work in the way that they walk out of jobs that don't serve them Mm. (laughs) used to really like Kareem in particular oh my god she's been doing it since she's been 16 right he's treated me like I'm not doing that anymore and I've been like uh just get another job first and she always walked that girl honestly and I learned from them you Mm. know I remember years ago talking to my oldest in particular about I was worried about, I've always worried about money. My money script was a mess. Uh, And and it's it's interesting because I'm having these conversations with my mum now, who's driving me potty because she won't pay for things, even though she can afford them. That's another story. Uh, And I said to Karim, were you ever worried about, are you ever worried about not being able to get a job or not being able to, because you seem to be fearless when it comes to things like that. Mm. And she said, no, because you did it. I watched you do it. She said, I said, she said, you left your career behind you went, you, you made a, you became a fashion designer. you like, you did that. And then you became a podcaster. And now you talk about menopause. So why would I think that that I was like, why, why would that be a thing? And that never occurred to me. It never occurred to me. You know, had, I remember some reading about small businesses and thinking small business First of all, you assume that everybody can be a small business owner. Not true. That everybody can be a freelancer. Also not true. It takes skill and all sorts of different kinds of um, qualities to be there. Yeah. But also, I read somewhere in one of the many business books, because business is noisy, that um, you have to fail to succeed or something about, uh, you know, things being a series of failures. And I remember thinking, well, I'm not doing that then. I don't want to fail. Failing was such a bad thing. Mm. And now I realize that i failed upwards throughout my life. You just, you just, life is a series of failures that aren't actually failures. They're lessons, aren't they? Mm. So when you stop thinking of things as failures and actually thinking of the, oh, well, I learned something from that you know i learned something from the fact that when i made that range of wallets not one person bought them you know and i learned something from the fact that when i put my website on wix it didn't work for me do you know i learned those things yes, i learned yes. that working with that person meant that they stole my money oh, these are things you learn you just never do it again
0: mm.
1: you know so i feel that my point about doing what I love is that I want my kids I want my girls my women children to do what they love I want them to show up in the world um, as fully authentic human beings Mm. and I think they can only do that if I lead the way
0: Mm. and Mm. how do they feel about you moving (laughs) where are they it's
1: interesting this is interesting because so they're both in London they both rent in London and if we know anything about rent and anything about the, where the world is, it's hard. God, it's hard. And they, first of all, they're always thrilled at everything I do. That's number one. They were thrilled that I left teaching, thrilled that I became a fashion designer, thrilled that I moved. But they, we also held space for the fact that they weren't happy with me moving away. So there's two, especially, I think, especially my youngest, I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, because we did have this conversation, because I opened it out. I said, it's okay for you to feel angry with me and also miss me and also be thrilled for me and also be excited for me. You're allowed to hold space for all those emotions because they're not all going to be there at the same time, and that's fine. I, you know, there's an argument that says that I left my kids, you know, but actually, or... But what I did is I chose myself. It's a difficult one. And I did agonise about it because there's a common wisdom around as you get older, you're going to, you know, take equity out of your house and give it to your kids so they can buy houses. Or you're going to do things for your kids or do things for other people. I'm not here for that, you know. And I know that society rewards us for being what is considered rewards women sorry or what is considered to be selfless you know but I've I'm not no I won't do it I, I I feel like if I choose myself that's the biggest gift I can give not only to my girls but to the world that sounds really wanky it's out there now but that's what I think because I know that me doing what I do and talking about what I talk about is heartening and and it allows, it resonates with other people. And I know that because they tell me,
0: Mm.
1: you know, I'm not, whether it's from not dyeing my hair before everybody stopped not dyeing their hair, which is great. From cutting my locks, which is a huge deal. Like what, you cut your locks? Oh my God, I'm not Samson. You know, um, to wearing clothes that I love as opposed to what I think other people will love. To not following fashion trends you name it, um, to moving out of London, which seems to be, you know, big. Because moving is a big deal. Mm. I think I underestimated it. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. I was like, because I slept a lot. I had all these grand ideas about moving to the coast, and then I'd have all this time, and I'd write a book, and I'd do this, and I'd do that. I slept. Annie, I slept.
0: (laughs) It is exhausting, absolutely. exhausting.
1: And then I did it again a year later. What is wrong with me? But uh i'm excited about what's coming i'm ex i feel a renewed energy to try i'm starting a radio show on saturday (laughs) you know I, i i i haven't given up on the idea of being a fashion creative i just don't know how that's going to manifest itself and i'm comfortable in allowing that to come in as opposed to forcing it you know um and I'm 61. Lots of people don't get this far, you know, so I'm going to rinse it, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can I ask final question? Yeah, sure. Do you feel at home?
1: That's good. I think I'm getting there. But I remember I also spend time in Barbados and I, feel home there too in a different way that's where my ancestors are that's where my family is laid to rest that's where my parents were brought up my cousins are and whilst you know the african african diaspora is huge and there are part things about barbados that i still don't understand because that was not taught to me and not and in a sense was taken away from me when I land, I feel home there too. And I'm comfortable with feeling different things at different times in different places because when I go to my mum's house, despite the fact that I don't want to live there, it's still my childhood home. Mm. And I think we can have different spaces where we feel home. And it's not, not necessarily, it's a place. I think it's, sometimes it's just what we carry with us.
0: Mm. You know?
1: Um, but I definitely feel like I've made the right decision and I'm not going anywhere anytime soon touch so various things Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah I think yeah so far so good is all I'm going to say to that I hope that answers your question
0: it does perfectly (laughs) (laughs) thank you Karen my
1: bloody pleasure (laughs) (laughs)
0: Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to Karen's Instagram, podcast and Joy Retreat in the show notes. Goodbye.